second reading is 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 14. 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 14. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Well, this sermon is indeed a, uh, a sermon by request. We have been asked to look at a benediction, particularly in the end of Corinthians. And I thank you for the, for the request. I think it has been a wonderful week of just studying this and looking for what people understand this to be. And it's been an amazing time for me, so I hope... I can share some of that with you this morning. So what is a benediction? Well, the short answer. In a short, it's a short invocation, a plea for divine help, a blessing and guidance for people assembled usually at the end of a worship service. So I could end the service there. But leaving at that, however, would not show the love and respect it deserves in light of what it actually means for us as Christians and followers of the Lord Jesus. At various times, we invoke benedictions, doxologies, uh, and blessings in general. But benedictions and blessings are very similar in the way we use them. They both call for the divine intervention in our lives and on behalf of the people or the person we, we are dealing with. The benediction is mostly used in a church or a service setting, however, whereas blessings are used at any time and can be used anywhere we meet with other Christians. And when I say with other Christians specifically, it is highly unlikely uh, a non-believer either understands nor appreciates you calling for a God they don't believe in to interfere with their lives. In my own experience, with my own family, it is even a prayer asking for a blessing over a meal can bring about angers in a non-believer. I don't think I have ever experienced someone using a benediction on a one-on-one situation, and yet I'm not saying that it should not be done. A doxology, on the other hand, is an expression of praise to the Lord God and also mainly used in a church service or setting. It would, for example, be God-honoring to commence a church service with a doxology and finish with a benediction. But let us look at the benediction and indeed the beauty that we find in them. Let us pray that this may also be of help to us. Our loving Father, we come to you to ask that you will open wide our hearts and our minds that we may truly come to reflect 
and see the beauty in the benedictions that you have given us, the directions you have given us in which we need to understand who you are, understand what you have done in our lives and what you are doing. We pray, Lord, that this will indeed grow us and mature us in our faith and understanding of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. Well, we fleetingly looked at one of the most beautiful benedictions in a sermon back in December 27. As we read through the Old and New Testament, we were also able to find a number of benedictions scattered throughout. It would be foolish, however, to try to cover all of those benedictions, etc., in a one sermon. So I've chose chosen some that we can look at for the purpose of it. So why not? Why don't we go back to the beginning and start with a benediction that God Himself has given to Moses? He passed it on to Moses for the purpose of blessing the Israelite. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. That, of course, is from Numbers chapter 6. And the reason a benediction is used in a service on an assembly like the Israelite assembly here is that it is to be made in an audible level that is loud enough for everyone assembled there to be able to hear it rather than maybe in a quiet prayer. It may in fact be seen and understood to be part of a sermon and a call of the Spirit of God to bring the person present into an understanding of what has been taught and being taught as a blessing, blessing from God alone. And when Moses is asked by God to proclaim, the Lord bless you, we should be willing to accept the truth that blessings are a genuine generosity from God alone. Since the abundance of all good things is derived to us from his favor, and he being the only one who can be the true source of any of that. And next then we come to and keep you. God is clearly stating to the Israelites and to you and I here today that he is alone the one that is able to defend his church and therefore also protect it under his guardianship. It is all within his power. Having said that, we should also recognize the main advantage of God's grace is in our own understanding of what that grace is to us. What has he done for you? Do you actually understand everything that has happened to you in your life? And therefore the words, and make his face shine upon you. This is added by the Lord for the additional benefit of his people, you and I. Since there can be nothing more desirable for a man or a woman of God than the fulfillment of happiness, that being able to behold the serene countenance of God, just think about the day you will be standing before him, standing face to face with God. David also speaks of this in Psalm 4. Who can show us any good? Let the light of your face shine upon us, O Lord. You have filled my heart with greater joy than when the grain and newer wine abound. 
There is no earthly joy that is comparative to standing with the gaze of God. Having his face shine upon us may be compared to the feeling of the warmth of his love even just as the sun gives us warm on a beautiful sunny day like today. It gives us comfort. It gives us joy. And yet, you just can't really compare what we derive in terms of comfort and joy from the sun with the overwhelming comfort that we are with the blessing of knowing God. They're incomparable. The last part, of course, read, the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. David again goes there in verse 8 in that same psalm. He says, I will lie down and sleep in peace, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. When we read that the Lord God will turn his face towards you, we obviously then find in that sentence alone that he is aware of your presence. And it is that assurance that, of course, gives you the sense of feeling, of safety, as well as a great sense of peace. Knowing, knowing that you're under his guardianship, the protection of none other than God. And speaking of peace, it isn't just a lack of conflict that we're dealing with here and we talk about peace of God, but it's way beyond that with him. It doesn't just refer to a tranquil rest, but it includes the prosperity and the success of your life. Where do we get that from? Prosperity. Are we into prosperity doctrine around all of a sudden? Well, last Sunday we learned about the blessed man in Psalm 1, telling us that he yields fruit in season and everything he does prospers. There are just some things the Lord God wants his people to understand when Moses passes on his benediction to them through Aaron and through Moses. And passes on is just exactly what it is. Seeing that all blessings come from God. So the benediction also have their origin in him alone. And we need to really get a grip on that. I can't bless you. It is God's blessing that comes on you, not mine. Now let us go to the New Testament. Paul expresses such blessings as it's only through the guiding of the Holy Spirit that any of this can come to be. Paul says in Romans, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Jesus Christ, that together you may with one voice glorify God and Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 15. By ourselves and in our human nature, we are sadly not likely to live in harmony with each other. Just as Paul also expresses when we get to Philippians, may the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4.7 We all want peace of God. It is, however, beyond our comprehension. But we still really truly want it and we know it can only be found in the heart of Jesus. Reinforced yet again in Colossians 3.15. 
And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. And the Apostle John obviously wants everyone to know that all these things are just that. They are from God. Grace, mercy, and peace be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. That's in John 2, John 3. Now that brings us to the benediction we had at the end of 2 Corinthians. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Paul closes this epistle with a prayer and a benediction and it contains three clauses that he gives us here. It indeed, this benediction sums up our salvation for us. In the first place, Paul wants for them the grace of Christ. Next, secondly, the love of God. And thirdly, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. When we study single verses in Scripture, it is a great benefit to view them from a biblical perspective and also connected to verse to other doctrines and that finds the harmony within the Bible as a whole. If you view this from a salvation point of view, we find that what is of first order, indeed that being, of course, the love of God, is actually put second in this, doctor, in this benediction. And when I say the love of God is of first order, then it goes to say, for God viewed in himself, by himself, loved us before the creation of the world, and he redeemed us for no other reason, because he loved us. And for you and I, however, we see in ourselves the light of his law, as sinful and unable to comprehend his love, unless we have, of course, the mediator. It is in that understanding that we grasp the love of God through the grace of Christ, which is in no doubt what Paul had here. Accordingly, Paul would have expressed this doctrine improperly had he placed the love of God before the grace of Christ, because that is the effect. In other words, the cause before the effect. That wouldn't work. We have the effect. Therefore, it is improper to begin with the grace of Christ, which is what brought about the adopting of us into God's family and honoring us with his love. Some of this during the week was really difficult for me. That is, you and I should have been regarded with hatred and abhorrence on account of our sins. That's the truth of it, isn't it? <coughs> Adding the fellowship of the Holy Spirit then is absolutely and perfectly correct by Paul. And when I say correct by Paul, it is given to him by God. Let's not mistake that. It is, after all, through the guiding of him that we come to possess and understand Christ and all the benefits that we derive from knowing Christ and being in Christ. These benefits may be many and varied. God, through his Holy Spirit, provides us all with gifts according to his own will. As we read in 1 Corinthians 12, But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, 
just as he wanted them to be. If they were part, all one part of one body, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. We're given this understanding. God has passed out a great diversity of gifts to his people, but God does not give out his spirit to everyone in a detached manner. He distributes gifts to each according to the measure of grace to the members of the church by mutually participating one with the other to cherish and build the unity of the church. That's the purpose for the gifts. God has combined the members of one body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it so there should be no division in the body but that the parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is part of it. Psalm 1 also gives us the understanding that we are not like the man described in verse 1, but we are to strive and persevere to be more like that man, Jesus Christ. This is part of the sanctifying process we each go through, each and every day. In the same way, we need to comprehend what this benediction is teaching us. Paul ends with the words, The fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. What we need to really understand is that we must persevere and have this fellowship live not just with us, but actually live living in us. The fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And we need to listen to and adhere to his guiding for us to derive the full benefit of the love of God and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ at that. All of this, what we have heard here today, is answering basically the question of what is a benediction. It is a call for divine intervention in the lives of the people assembled in his church and brought together to form the one body under his protection and under his guardianship. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all, Paul writes. But let me finish today with Paul's benediction from Colossians 3.15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Thanks be to a loving God, we have been given the Son and brought into an everlasting relationship with a God that created you, sustains you, and with all that blesses you. That is the benediction. Let us pray. Our gracious and loving Father, we do come to you to thank you for this wonderful, wonderful writings that you have given these men that have written down faithfully that we can read them. And you have given us your Holy Spirit to dwell and have fellowship with us, to guide us and teach us, Lord, for which we are truly grateful. We come to you in thankfulness for all the things you have done, for the things you set in place and for your plan and what you are doing in us 
and through us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.